We're doing it out of sync with each other. This is, this is terrible. Hello everyone, yes, it's Diminishing Returns, the first one of 2019. Isn't this lovely? Woo. Woo. Yes. And, um, Brave New World. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm sure we'll shortly be talking about our festive seasons and um, what we all got. One of my gifts was uh, a, a, a shiny new Blu-ray of several Laurel and Hardy feature films, uh, Way Out Ooh. West included, the one that we're going to be talking about specifically today. That been like marked down to get rid of it. I can't imagine they're releasing new Laurel and Hardy Blu-rays <laughs> in this day and age. No, so. no, no. They, they, they were. I mean, it's to cash in on the new film, isn't it? It was a shockingly <laughs> bad transfer. I don't recommend anyone except for the purest of fans get the uh, very best of Laurel and Hardy three disc set from Universal Studios. But anyway, I'm Calvin, and with me are Alan, hello, and Sol. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> What was that? <laughs> that? That was an impression of one of the stock noises that Stan, Laurel, and Oliver Hardy make in there. That sounded more like, uh, what's his name? Is it John Finlayson or Charles Finlayson? James <laughs> Finlayson. <laughs> James Finlayson. He's the one who goes, Well, he goes, Doh! Because, of course, that's <laughs> oh, from course, where yes. Dan Castellaneta got the yeah. trademark Homer Simpson dough from. Oliver Hardy, he'll he'll be on the floor and he'll sometimes go, "Ooh," <laughs> <laughs> and then Stan Laurel will sometimes go. <laughs> That's, That's pretty much all I've got without doing like the physical actions for you to see. <laughs> you can introduce me and I'll twiddle my thumbs. <laughs> hmm. He has got a very. I mean, I I suspect we are going to look at. Uh, Way Out West, the feature, and then a couple of the shorts. Mm. But I suspect we're mostly going to be talking about Laurel and Hardy in general, because mm. yeah, yeah. There, was, there was nothing sort of specific in these films that I really felt the need to talk about <laughs> in yeah, detail. Well, yeah. I mm. mean, so we've picked Way Out West to look at specifically just because it's... We, we kind of want to do a, a, an overview of them, mm. but that is the film that's generally regarded as the definitive Laurel and Hardy feature, the best one, isn't it? Yeah, Way Out West. yeah. And it's also the one where it looks like from the trailers of the new film Stan and Ollie, they're recreating parts yeah, of it, notably the dance. It, yeah. I mean, my my thought, just to kind of lay it out there completely, I've seen better Laurel and Hardy films than Way Out West. I don't hmm. really know why that's put up as the best one. I, I, I don't know. It didn't strike me like a particularly great Laurel and Hardy film. I don't know. More, more on that later. Hmm. Can I ask a quick question, Sol? Yeah. Um, when you watched this film, uh, how many times did you laugh? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> to be completely honest, I, I was struggling to um stay awake to register what was even like a gag supposed to be because yeah. there, there's long, long, long dead stretches between jokes, and there's bits where they'll just do a dance for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was thinking actually, because I was thinking. 
you know, I've seen Laurel and Hardy stuff before, and there's occasional moments where you go, oh, that's a nice, clever bit of physical comedy. But it's never, it's never like on the level of like what Chaplin or oh, Buster yeah, Keaton does. But it's just, but then I always think, well, you know, it was of its time. It was very funny. Maybe it was groundbreaking. I don't know. People really liked it. But then I, I, I sort of occurred to me when I was watching this. Is this the 1930s equivalent of Mrs. Brown's voice? <laughs> Do you think in in like several decades' time, people will look back on Mrs. Brown's boys? They'll look back on it and it'll be revered as like a classic because the masses loved it, like Shakespeare. Yeah, it was just trash for the fucking public who didn't know any better, but because it's old, everyone loves it. <laughs> No, I don't think that's true. I think there's a reason why most people would know Laurel and Hardy over, let's say, Our Gang, or um, what's the name? What are the names? Um, Thelma and Zazu, uh, Ch- Charlie Chase, um, all the no Charlie Chase, Chaplin. all the well, yes, Ch- Charlie Chaplin. People know, obviously, um, but the, like Laurel and Hardy were just one of many Hal Roach comedic pairings stars, and they did. They have you know, made, stood the test of time. I don't think it's fair to um, really compare them to the the silent clowns like Chaplin and Keaton either, because Mm. those, they were doing something very different. They were doing like real choreographed silent comedy. Their their stuff was like real legitimate art, but Mm. Laurel and Hardy is more like, it's from Vaudeville, isn't it? Or Vaudeville, it's, it's, Mm. uh, it's born out of a very different, it's a different craft, I think. It's a different yeah. way of approaching what they're doing. So yeah. I, they're closer to um, uh, Abbott and Costello, that sort of, like, mm. you know... Oh, much more, yeah. Variety yeah, that's act a... kind of stuff. Yeah. Because Laurel and Hardy did get their start as a partnership in the silent era, and they made several silent films, but I think it's the sound shorts that are probably the most well-remembered. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, my, I, I think I'm going to be kind of in between two, the two of you today. Because I know Calvin, you're a huge fan of Laurel and Hardy, and yes, you listen to the songs on your, your <laughs> music devices sometimes. And they, they look make... on the trail of the lonesome pine is a great song. Whereas Alan, I know, I know you think they're just interminable and like <laughs> painfully unfunny, and I, I, I do think they're not very funny, and none of the humour is really aged remotely well, and it isn't funny at all. But I, I also think there's a there's a real undeniable charm, and a sort of just likability, and a, a sense of warmth that comes from the mm. two of them, and I, I think that goes a hell of a long way towards making their stuff sort of nice and, and watchable in a in a way. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, because I, I must say, I haven't watched these films in some in a fair few years now so coming back to way out west is a bit fresh and what you said earlier on about how uh, there are just long stretches without gags and you're sort of wondering where's the joke here what's going on and um like when they're just sort of coming on to that woman in the back of the cab like that's a good five minute sequence yeah. and there's no real joke to it I, I almost wondered if I'd seen a weirdly edited version of it because it, the way that scene ends is so abrupt. But I think that's just not like nowadays you wouldn't dream of ending a comedic mm. scene without having a little button on the end, a little gag just to mm. cap it off. Mm. Where I think we're so accustomed to American sitcom writing formula that it just feels weird to just kind yeah. of not finish on a joke. But mm. 
But there is a warmth between the two of them, and certainly their stuff mm. isn't as polished as, like, mm. Chaplin or Keaton, who, you know, I mean, I don't know much about the filming process, but it certainly feels a lot more slapdash is probably mm. too harsh a word, but... I don't get the sense that Way Out West took, you know, four years to make, like... They're, the they're just churning them out. Yeah, they? yeah. It, it, yeah. It, I think Slapdash is probably quite accurate. It, it, it <laughs> feels very much like they were, you know, just coming up with... You know, similar to a lot of comedy stars and comedy filmmakers nowadays. It's like, mm. it's that approach of... It's the Will Ferrell school of comedy, where you just go out and you kind of make stuff up on the fly and mm. grab what you can, roll <laughs> That's working out well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I, I that's the I think it's the old school equivalent of that, you know. Here's a scene stands thrown together mm. on the fly. Oh, cool! We'll we'll make it work. I don't know. I, mm. I I'm, that's complete conjecture, but that's what it feels like. No, I mean, and you just touched on it there, but of course, I think I think it's commonly known now that Laurel was the sort of the brains behind the operation like hardy was mm-hmm. a, a very good actor and he's my pr- you know favorite of the two for sure but really? he would very much like turn up and do what he was told and you know that yeah is a huge surprise to me what i would have <laughs> i would have pegged you as a stan laurel guy really yeah oh because he's he's the he's the sort of prim proper english guy with you know he's well, yeah but hardy's the bully and that was calvin really related to <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm genuinely really surprised by that. That compl- that flies in the face of everything I know about you. Huh. Oliver Hardy is the R2-D2. Stan Laurel's the C-3PO. <laughs> I don't think of Stan Laurel as being that, like, prim and proper and all this, because he's, he's an idiot, isn't he? And I, I don't often favour the uh, idiot savant characters. But uh, Oli- Oliver Hardy is also an idiot. He's just, like, an arrogant idiot. Yeah, I prefer that. Arrogance is funnier. It's funnier when he's deflated <laughs> than when just stupidity is misguided stupidity. Yeah, you know, I think Oliver Hardy might be the funnier character, mm. but in terms of likability, I, I definitely prefer Stan. I, I think he's got a real likable presence, whereas mm. Ollie is just there to kind of almost be an antagonist. And um, can I ask Calvin? Mm. How is the in terms of the characters that they play? Did they all develop over a couple of years, or was it pretty much as you were from the beginning? I oh no, the first few shorts that they were together before they were an official team. There are somewhere there's one. Uh, I think it's called From Soup to Nuts, which is one of my <laughs> favourites of theirs. Where they ba- they play like Soup homeless pe- and nuts. They they play they play uh, homeless people vagrants who are like in a park and then they take over this. A uh, rich man who was away on Safari's mansion, and it's, it's like a bit of a farce. Um, <laughs> What's it called? From soup to nuts. I think it's called from soup to nuts. Yeah, but I'm not 100 sure. A common phrase. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's uh, that. That was one of the first ones where you oh, really Ollie. saw them. My nuts are all full of soup. It's not anything to do with the, the nuts together. <laughs> <laughs> Have you never heard the phrase soup to nuts? No. I don't know what it means. It's 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 like it means everything. Like a meal. You start with soup and you end with nuts. What? Nuts for dessert? Well yeah, maybe after dessert. The thirties were fucking weird, man. Oh no, it's not that one. Sorry. Um Well that was a pointless tangent, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> let me see. How much Stan and Ollie slash fiction do you think is on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just called duck soup. 
That'd be why it was. <laughs> oh, I know that's duck a Marx Brothers film. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I know, no. I know but... Laurel and Hardy had a duck soup yeah. as well. Yeah, I didn't realize that was one of their earliest ones. That was one of the uh, yeah first ones where it kind of you know set them up as Stan's the sort of dumb right. one and Hardy's the arrogant ass. Uh, but yeah, so it, it did develop over time. Um, but certainly by the time they got to sound shorts, it was very much set in stone. What I think is remarkable is that like this. Obviously, they were born in the silent era as a duo, but they made that transition to sound when you've got this one guy who's just English and then another with a sort of musical Southern drawl, and it just, it worked. Like, a lot of stars couldn't make that transition to sound, but they did it very well. I, I definitely think they're they're revered in this country a lot more, and they've stood the test of time here a lot more than they would have done had one of them not been British. I, I mm. I don't know if we're almost if we almost have a an inflated sense of their size on the the world scene, as it were, just hmm. because maybe they're actually bigger in Britain than they are elsewhere. Hmm. But um, hmm. I've been to the uh, Stan Laurel Museum. Hmm. I thought, well, I think it must be the Laurel and Hardy Museum, but it's where Stan Laurel was born in Ulverston. Uh, yeah, somewhere in Cumbria, somewhere up there. The... Yeah, no, I've been to the same one. I had a photo with the statue. <laughs> what did you think of it, Alan? It's near the Pencil Museum. Um, it was fine. It was, yeah, as museums go, it was a nice little collection of oddities. Mm. Um, just an excuse to kind of have some information. They had they had a little theatre there with films showing. They were just putting shots on a loop. Um, and there was a handful of people there when I went, including one man who was laughing uproariously at everything. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if he was hired to be there um, or if he was just slightly mentally ill. Last time you told this story, which I think might have been on the podcast, even it wasn't a man; it was like an eight-year-old boy. No, that was my, that was my bit of the story. That was my was experience it? there. Yeah, <laughs> that he was laughing uproariously. Yeah, so I'm wondering now if because I went a fair few years ago, if this kid has now grown up and he's <laughs> still there, laughing away every day. It was very disappointing going to the museum and. Uh, you know, they they promote like, oh, we screen Laurel and Hardy films. Oh, this will be great seeing them on a big screen. I wonder if they've got film projections of the shorts. And no, it's just a TV and a DVD player. <laughs> it's smaller than your TV you've got in your lounge, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, what do you want? I mean, it was, it was a cinema, though, wasn't it? It's a cinema that they've repurposed. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. I must admit, when I, when I watch these things and, and you see... Like, they'll do a gag, and then there's this long pause, and, like, one of them will look at camera and go, and then there's just this whole extended bit. But I assume that when you, if you were watching at the time, they're allowing time for the laughter to dissipate before mm. they get on with the next thing. I think that's why they do that. Mm. Um, and so when you're just watching it at home on your own, it, it just feels <laughs> oh, dragged man. out. Imagine that, like... Imagine falling through a time vortex, and so you've only got 1930s entertainment, you're in the 30s. <laughs> Just how insufferable it would be to watch stuff with a 1930s audience. Well, I don't have to they, imagine they so, just... because I did it <laughs> recently. <laughs> I know, I as, you, as you know. <laughs> and I was, I was forced to laugh uproariously at <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Comedies move beyond this. You, you should have... Your your like comedy brain should have advanced to the point that this isn't funny. I think you might have said the exact same thing to me when at university I it was the, one of the first times I invited you over to my room and I put on <laughs> some Laurel and Hardy for us to watch. <laughs> That'll and, get him going. <laughs> <laughs> and you just like 
<laughs> sort of glared at me angrily every time I laughed. Oh, Were you laughing out loud at Laurel and Hardy? You'd already yes. seen it. Okay, let, well, let's, let's get into this. Calvin, what is funny about Laurel and Hardy? Oh, well, you can't articulate what, I mean... I, well, what do you laugh at? Is it funny because the fat man falls in the water? <laughs> it is. <laughs> 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 Tell us some examples when, of bits that I think, do it for you. I think I laughed most. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing, thinking, just thinking Sorry, about it, was, it. I mean, I laughed. I, 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 I dare say I chuckled a few points, but the the one bit that got a proper laugh out of me was when you know when towards the end, uh, Laurel is hoisting Hardy up on the rope <laughs> to get into the window so they can steal back the deed. Um, yes. There's a bit, and the camera's just like it's a shot from above, and then I think Stan like goes to like spit on his hands or something and he lets go of the rope and Hardy falls and then it's just the the timing of like the whoa whoa and then silence and then just the thud of him hitting the ground really made me laugh <laughs> I liked the bit where the I liked when the donkey got hoisted up into the air it just looked a little bit <laughs> scared <laughs> no, and I really like the bit when they're um, chasing uh, the bad guys around because they're going back and forth with this deed that they're all trying to get uh, hold of. And when Hardy gives it to Stan after he's been tickled and then he just immediately gives it away because he doesn't want to be tickled again. I thought that was funny. How could, I, I did want, I was thinking this way. How come you two never went to a fancy dress party as Laurel and Hardy? Oh, <laughs> should have done that. Yeah. There's still time. Oh no, actually you've lost all that weight now. Yeah. You're not fat anymore. You're not funny anymore. So. Well, the problem is Calvin would want to be Oliver Hardy anyway, because it's his favorite one. So it would have been the wrong way around, but then that might've been funnier. Hmm. <laughs> well, as we saw at the end of uh, whatever one of these films was. Oh yeah, that's Calvin. We should do that where we do like the inverse Laurel and Hardy <laughs> at the end of uh, Blood is thicker than water. Thicker than, thicker than, water. than water. It's called thicker yeah. than water. <laughs> but I like that bit at the end of thicker than water. That was like the big gag of the at the end of this thing where they because they've mixed their blood and it was the 30s and they didn't understand science um it means they've kind of blended themselves but it was nice to see like seeing these guys play each other when they've obviously just known each other for yeah. years it's kind of done with a great affection mm. they did it really nicely yeah well, I like it, it seems like they probably were doing impressions of each other behind the camera and mm. they were like oh we should work this into <laughs> yeah. one of the things that short, coincidentally, was the last short that the pair did together after that. It was all features. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I knew, I, I could tell it was like a late one. It just felt like mm. they were, because they were doing something Set like that, ways. it felt like they were, um, mm. yeah, trying to do something a little bit just different and they're mm. playing on their own characters and stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Was, I like that. Nice. That was nice. I actually thought it works a lot better in short format. I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I'm not convinced. I think they struggle with a feature running time. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a feature runtime is it's only a it's only a six reeler, isn't it? It's like it's only yeah. an hour long. It's not really yeah. a feature. So it's only three times the length of you know the usual shorts. Um, yeah, I do agree. And some some of the weaker features are the ones where they shoehorn in some young, bland, romantic subplot. Uh, mm. Like if if this were made maybe a couple of years later, that Mary girl would have had a, a boyfriend or something to run off with um, at the end of Way Out West. Actually, interestingly, there's the the other shot that we watched, which was 
So what do we do? We did we did uh, thicker than water and one good turn. Yes, one the one turn. with the old lady, right? Yes, yeah. and and what happens in that is that they overhear this old lady needs some money, and so they try and help her, and then it turns out that she was just uh, rehearsing for a play. But, really loudly, without but, yeah, saying, but the, oh, the way that they're don't acting... Don't mind me, I'm going to be screaming for help in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually just rehearsing a play. But the, the way that they're acting, her, her and the man that she's acting with, is just really over-the-top acting. And I couldn't tell if it was like, okay, is this the idea that they're acting and they're overhearing it and it's going to reveal that they're actually acting... Or is this just bad acting from the 30s? And I don't know. <laughs> because obviously, as it turned out, it was supposed to be deliberately over-the-top bad acting. But I wasn't sure. <laughs> because it was the 30s. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> One of the things we don't really get now, unless I'm completely overlooking something, you don't really get like comedy characters who just flip from one thing to the next with no continuity... But they're um, always the same character. But it's but as it in is essentially wise. Yeah, mm. it's essentially a sequel being made every time. To and it's often the the name of the real actor as well. Mm. But it, it's like if it's like if Seth if Seth Rogen and James Franco were like always playing versions of themselves, but that was like their whole career and it's, it, I don't know, it's just we don't really have anything like that. I the mm. closest I can think of is something like Alan Partridge, but that's not Steve Coogan's real name, and there's a continuity that carries over. Yes, from that's the same character that's just continuing. The next and... But the, I think we, we, because we don't have these kind of series of short films anymore, you need to look at TV more. I know, for example, um, Hancock in the 50s and 60s, Hancock's Half Hour, that had that, particularly at the beginning, where he would, every week it would be like, oh, now he's a middle class uh, book uh, bookstore owner. Oh, now mm-hmm. he's like. Uh, unemployed and looking for a job it was always that same kind of personality but it was in a different situation and then laurel and hardy are kind of characters separate from the actors as well in that i think Mm. they i think you can license the characters out and there have been projects since their their deaths or certainly since their retirement that have not had any involvement from them Mm, that yeah. have sort of tried to keep the brand alive very weirdly. They... What was that Laurel and Hardy one that was from the <laughs> the Jim Varney stable? <laughs> one of the funniest teams to ever appear on the screen is back. Stop them! It's Laurel and Hardy. Looks like they've saved you from another horrible embarrassment. In their greatest adventure ever. We didn't steal the mummy. Then the mummy is alive. And kick it! That'll teach the walking dead to fool with Oliver Fahey's Hardy. Bronson Pinchot, Kaylord Sartain, and Academy Award winner F. Murray Abraham. You can count on us. You certainly can. The all-new adventures of Laurel and Hardy in For Love or Mummy. We certainly won't lose them now. We certainly won't. Starring Bronson <laughs> Pinchot. Pinchot, that's it. Bronze Pinchot. Who you like, remember? Do I? <laughs> Look him up. You might see what you like him from, because you, you've you've liked him before. Bronson twi- Pinchot, twice. Stan Laurel. Yeah, go on. I've Two liked films him you've twice. Liked him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he does look On, the, on this very familiar. podcast. True Romance. Oh, I do yeah. like him. Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good. I bet he does a good job as Stan. Calvin, do you want to know the canon middle names that were added for Laurel and Hardy that I assume this film invented? 
I know it's Oliver Norval Hardy. Um, no, 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 no. A what? Oh, oh that, no, that film. film. Oh, sorry. Um, this film's changed it, then. Oh, yeah, no. It's something like Oliver Fatty Bum Bum Hardy or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's Oliver Fattius Hardy That's and Stanley it, yeah. Thinius Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin, in the world of Laurel and Hardy fandom, how how does this film uh, is is it accepted? Oh no, no, it's completely <laughs> forgotten and just disregarded, <laughs> uh, discredited. Um, well, what about um, <clears throat> Scooby Doo meets Laurel and Hardy? <laughs> Not far now, Scoob. Hey, look! A very good afternoon to you. <laughs> Have an accident? No, thank you. We just had one. Hey, <laughs> like it's Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and Hardy. They recognize you, Sally. Of course, we recognize you. I wouldn't say it's discredited, but it's not. Uh, you know. Because there was a, a Laurel and Hardy cartoon series, wasn't there? And that oh, was, was there on that... Hannah? Was it Hanna Barbera? Yes, and I believe that that ah, was. That I'm just going to look this up now, just to check my yeah, sources. Yeah, that but, that'd um... be why they 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 basically just crossed over with. Hmm. Did did Laurel and Hardy do like a lot of adverts and stuff at the time? Like, I don't is there? Because obviously it's not in their films because it wasn't quite the nature. But Ooh. Laurel and Hardy presents Winston red apple cigarettes. cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when the wives are. Ollie, we should let the wives finish up mowing the lawn while we have a nice Winston cigarette. <laughs> the only... Ooh! <laughs> That's another nice cigarette. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imagining him, he's mowing the grass and the lawnmower like goes over his foot and he sort of goes, Ooh! And grabs his hat and then hops on one and then, foot. And then it's a close-up of his shoe and the leather's all cut up, but his foot, <laughs> yeah. his toes and, are wiggling. Around. And then he, he like holds up his foot and looks at it, and then he looks at camera, and then he looks at his foot again, and then he, he goes over to Stan, and he sort of claps him round the back of his head and it knocks his hat off. And then he and then he ro- rolls over the hat with the lawnmower. Well, no, he's about to, but what actually, he goes to, he reaches for the hat, knocking... Oliver Hardy's hat down in the process, picks his hat up, and the lawnmower goes straight over Oliver Hardy's hat. And then Oliver Hardy takes the hat off Stan Laurel, puts it on his own head, but it's far too small. What he does is he takes the hat off his own head, but it's full of grass trimmings that like somehow got in there when it went down, and he like the grass goes all over his head, and he sort of goes, <laughs> like trying to blow it out of his face. This all sounds good stuff, I think. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's surprisingly easy to write. I've got to be honest. I, I've got less respect for Stan Laurel than I do. For uh, um. Anyway, no, they didn't do any adverts. Uh, they, they well, not to my knowledge. Anyway, the only thing that I can think of that they did along those lines was a a short film which was produced for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It was something about um, eat your greens. It's what we just <laughs> described, but with like a combine harvester instead of a lawnmower. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it was notable for being the only, I think it was the only colour footage shot of the two of them. But on the subject of colorization, I think one of the reasons why... Did Oliver Hardy have a big red nose? Certainly in Like a W.C. Fields kind of... Alcoholic fat man knows. 
Certainly in the States, I think their memory was kept alive because of Hal Roach, who was the producer of their most notable films anyway. Like, even when Laurel and Hardy had died, Hal Roach lived into the 90s. He was like 105 or something when he died. But he did a really good job at making sure that, you know, all of his stuff went on television. And Mm. especially in the 50s when they were looking for a lot of uh, short, you know, features, entertainment um, that they could put commercials around certainly these 20 minute short two reelers were a good good bet and also he uh, invested a lot in colorization technology in the 80s so a lot of laurel and hardy features and shorts were colorized you can see some of them on dvd now but they're all pretty horrible was hal roach just obscenely rich then Mm. good Good. (laughs) (laughs) had a big falling Um, out with stan did he? Yeah. Because he, he kept not paying him enough. Uh, I think so, yeah. And he, he kept them both on, like, kind of separate... Co- so they wouldn't negotiate the contracts yeah, together. They'd yeah, negotiate yeah, yeah. separately and they'd end at different times. So they were always kind of dependent on the other one, um, like a year down the line, negotiating. And, yeah. Clever. So how, did they, like, die in poverty? That's what I feel like. Oh, no. happened. <laughs> oh, good. No, no, no. <laughs> It just feels like this is the natural end for like these these big stars that are never quite in control of their own careers. Well, <laughs> I I mean I don't know I don't know why I'm keeping it so close to my chest. I've I've already seen Stan and Ollie, <laughs> which is and, which is out next week. <laughs> yeah, um, I went to quite an early advanced screening, uh, and it's it's surprisingly it's um it's very much the latter day tale of of Stan and Ollie. It, it, I was expecting mm. more of a typical biopic overview Hmm. um but it does very much give the impression of oh no one cares anymore and it's really sad and depressing and Hmm. they are Hmm. kind of like not making much money and but they weren't living in poverty they were comfortable yeah yeah stan laurel was paying for four ex-wives as well (laughs) (laughs) but that 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 stage uh tour that they did was like i'm sure that the film you know uh is focused around this, but how that was like their real last hurrah. Like, yeah, they made some of, disappointing yeah. films that they weren't in control of, and I mean, then... even that's very, it's very melancholy to be honest. It, it does hmm. kind of, it does, you know, pick up, and they make you know quite a successful tour. But the way the film frames it, and I don't know how accurate this is to real life, um, but I'm assuming it is. The way the film frames it is that that tour was very much intended to be. A kickstart for them getting a new film financed. Um, mm. the, there's a plot with them trying to convince this producer to come and see them, and then the fin- like the financing for the film falls through, so it's never going to happen. But mm. it's like they really want to make this this Robin Hood comedy, this this big, you know, return to making films, and and mm. it's quite depressing because they don't. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> there's a sequence in it. Where they basically make like a bit of that film in like the one of their heads in a fantasy, and it's like seeing a, a Laurel and Hardy film that never existed in color. Hmm. It struck me like something a, a real Laurel and Hardy fan like you would just be like, "Oh, nice!" Really getting off over because it, it, sh- it's probably from if if that film was real, it's probably from some of actual Stan's actual writings because he was constantly writing shit wasn't he yeah yeah well even after hardy died he still yeah, kept on writing yeah. and that, yeah. that's one of the the stories i think that's quite well known yeah is he, he just he never performed after ollie died mm. and mm. he 
carried on writing for Laurel and Hardy like till he died, mm. which is mm. just a bit tragic. <laughs> really, it's just kind of mm. like, oh. well, they could have at least palmed it off onto some younger men, kickstart. Yeah. We did make friends with a lot of young comedians, didn't we? like Dick Van Dyke and Jerry Lewis. And... Young comedians like Dick Van Dyke and Jerry Lewis? <laughs> well, young for the time. Uh, it was yeah. a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit about the, the characters that they play, and particularly the physical mannerisms? Because mm. I think, especially Oliver Hardy, the things he does, the physical mannerisms he has are so identifiable to him. I've never seen anyone mm. do anything like it, the way he moves mm. his hands and things. And I've never seen anyone do that, even mm. like even as a kind of, oh, he made that popular and so it's a thing. It, it's a weird... Like, Stan Laurel obviously has his own mannerisms, but with Oliver Hardy, it feels completely unique, like yeah, a full package yeah. thing. Mm. The, only, mm. the only time I've ever seen anything close to it was uh, when we watched... Whatever happened to Baby Jane and that pianist guy had a lot of oh, yes. energy yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. his mannerisms. And I, yeah, so I do wonder yeah, if it was point. maybe people just sometimes carried themselves quite differently in the olden days and a it's lot of like that's a, coming through. It's a musicality. There's just something very, mm. even when he's not singing or dancing or something, he just yeah. flows really naturally and yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. It feels perfectly normal, but it's definitely not a natural movement. Mm, mm. I just—I think that's great. I think that's just classic comedy acting. That's brilliant. Yeah. They created this character, mm. um, and Stan Laurel, you know, he sort of plays with his hair and pretends to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question about Stan Laurel's hair. Mm. Oh, for for a, for a man in the thirties. That strikes me like an incredibly stylish haircut, but oh. I think the idea is that he's just meant to be like scruffy and not yeah. well groomed. <laughs> Funnily enough, there is a story behind it because for one of their silent shorts, I can't remember what it was now, but they play uh, prison inmates and they uh, shaved their heads for it. And Stan's hair was just perfectly normal before then and could be styled and all this kind of stuff as with uh, you know to the time. But after for some reason after he shaved his head for that, it grew and when it grew, it just grew straight up. So that's like natural, like what you see on screen. Um, so they just incorporated it into part of the comedy routine. For the thirties, like look at fucking Oliver Hardy's hair; it's fucking dreadful. <laughs> for the thirties, that that was quite a cool haircut. Yeah, just yeah. completely greased down. Mm. Stuck to his head, mm. like l- split into like cartoon lines down the front <laughs> of his face. I don't know if that was just for the films or if that's what people look like. But <laughs> I th- yeah, I think he just kind of looked like that. Except I think he'd like comb it back, uh, so he looked a bit more stylish. But yeah, anyway. Uh, Calvin, can you give us a bit more information about the sort of the regular cast of characters they had in their films? James Finlayson is probably the most notable. Mm. Is he the uh, moustache was, man? Yeah, yes. was he allowed to shave the moustache or was that in his contract he had to keep that? I saw a photo of him once without a moustache. I think it might have been fake. Uh, but it was certainly a <laughs> the part of The photograph or his moustache? No, no, <laughs> sorry, his moustache. Um, yeah, but he he was a regular foil for them. He'd often be a villainous, like, you know, he hotel like owner. He looks like a classic tie a woman to a train tracks villain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Who was the guy who played that drunk who just appeared for like two seconds weirdly in the one with the car falling apart? Uh, I can't oh, remember. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. trying to auction off uh, uh, um, One Good Turn. Is that what it's called? They're trying to auction off the car 
And then mm. this guy just appears like, Wow and I was like, Whoa, this must be like another one of the players on the lot who does like a drunk character. Because it's too <laughs> weird to just bring him in for like one weird little scene. Otherwise I don't know if that is the same guy, but there there was a guy called Arthur Houseman who was that character in a lot of Oliver Stan and Ollie films, but I don't think he was in that one. I don't think it's him there. My what struck me watching the the shorts and stuff is that I always had an impression that Laurel and Hardy were surrounded by straight men, and it was mm. it was like mm. that they were the two funny idiots in a a sort of normal world. But watching the stuff again, it's like oh no, it's like every opportunity to kind of make a character funny, they're taking mm. it, which is mm. I don't think that's how you'd approach it nowadays, but. Again, I, I feel like... Yeah, have you censored. seen Mrs. Brown's Boys? <laughs> no. Every single one of them is hilarious. <laughs> no, but I, I do know what you mean, because the, the world is kind of as absurd as they are, really. Yeah. And yeah. Y- your memory is that they're just these buffoons going through a sort of realistic world, but it's really not at all. Yeah. Um, Did you like the film, Sol? Stan and Ollie? Have you yeah. seen it? Because you... Not yet. No, you're a big fan of John C. Reilly and you know Steve Coogan. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a yeah, it's good. It's it does feel very much like all those kind of biopic films where it's just a bit a bit too light and defanged, and you know, like your grandma might happily sit through it. It did feel a bit like one of those kind of things, but. Mm. The mm. fact that it does focus on their twilight days and it is very melancholy, I wasn't really expecting, and it was quite an interesting way to go about doing it. I thought. And you've said on the podcast before that 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 is one of your favourite thing narrative devices: older characters looking oh, yeah, back I hadn't on considered their that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't particularly aware of the behind the scenes in their sort of twilight years where they were struggling to get projects off the ground and all this. So it was, it, it was very interesting just to kind of see what their lives were like at the time. And then John C. Mm. Riley is is excellent, as you'd expect, as Oliver Hardy in his fat suit. He, he does a great <laughs> job. Steve Coogan is very good as Stan Laurel, but it is very... You never quite feel like you're not watching Steve Coogan in the same way that yeah. John C. Riley just disappears into the role. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it was it was good. Solid. Seven out of ten for mm. me. Wow. Mm. Also, also, if you go and see Stan and Ollie, there's a there's a nice little cameo from uh, Alan Turing at the start. Very, Did you see him? Very prominent, <laughs> very prominent in multiple shots. Alan giggling away. At, uh, <laughs> I mean, really? They see me in the trailer. I watched the trailer. And it's saw me. it's footage. I mean, we know basically we know that Alan loves Way Out West because <laughs> you can go you can go and watch in the cinema. <laughs> watch Stan and Ollie and you'll see Alan like fucking cracking up watching Wild West in the cinema yeah it should be clear that we weren't actually watching anything while we were filming that <laughs> he's he's watching you know the bit the I think it's quite famous where they're it's like they're sort of doing a dance and it's like a weird back projection thing mm. they're dancing in front of he's mm. watching that and he's just cracking up it's like the funniest thing he's ever seen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah way out west um it didn't feel like i i've seen better stuff from laurel and hardy i don't really know why that's mm. the best the, the one that's pointed to as their best work uh i looked it up on imdb it's not even the highest rated one 
There, mm. there's, there's one film that slightly eclipses it, or at least had more oh, which, ratings, and I can't remember is? what it is off the top of my head. Yeah. Might have been that Blockheads one? I, I can't remember. That but, is probably my favourite. Yeah. Um, it's not that funny. The fact that it's a feature, I think, brings it down, because you've just got all these prolonged sequences where it's like, now it's time for the song, and now so-and-so's gonna sing, and as far as, like, films from the 30s go, you could definitely do a lot worse. I think I gave it a 6, which I, I think is quite generous, really, but it's... Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I really was like... <sighs> no, there's no excuse. I'm not, <laughs> accept- I'm not accepting the fact that it was the 30s and that's okay. I gave it a 4. Oh! That's so mean! <laughs> that's, that's horrible. <laughs> and that's very upsetting, actually. Uh... It's yeah. No, I, I I love Laurel and Hardy, and while I don't think this is their best feature film, it's still an eight out of ten from me. Um, it reminds me of childhood, and I know how you like to poo-poo on people who like things because they have fond memories of it from being a kid. But <laughs> I, I I still remember being young, and on BBC Two during school holidays at about twelve o'clock, they would put on a Laurel and Hardy short, and I would sit with my grandma and granddad and watch it, and we'd all chuckle and laugh and. Those are nice memories, and I I do think of that whenever I watch them. So it's uh yeah. It's... I I have a similar nostalgia for them, where like I was like, oh what we've run out of cartoons. The cartoons have stopped. <laughs> oh, it's Laurel and Hardy. I, that's almost a cartoon, I guess. <laughs> on in the background, it's not very. Mm. Yeah, I can well, see through my, this. Yeah. Here's my memory. You've just you've just reminded me of something talking about your childhood Laurel and Hardy. I saw a film once, I think it's a Belgian film, in which this young boy, um, like the neighbour or maybe his uncle, like gets him over to watch Laurel and Hardy films and then molests him. Um, <laughs> so that's so that's my memory. That's, that's what I think of when I think of Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> I wish I could remember what film it was. If anybody knows. Anyway, what about the shorts that we watched? Oh, yeah. Because oh. yeah. um... we, we, first one was, what was it? So we had one good turn. Which actually was my favourite of the lot. It was just a nice, simple comedy concept. There was a classic bit of, let's carry some furniture and then destroy it. I think that happens a lot. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, gave th- I gave that one a, a 6 out of 10. Hmm. I think I gave all of these a 6. I'm just... Uh, I, I, my... I, I just said that the furniture carrying and destroying was in one good turn. It wasn't, it was. It was in Thicker Than Water. Uh, sorry. I'm just... <laughs> my issue with all of these... And I think it's more, it's less forgivable in the short films, really. It's just how fucking meandering they all are. In the shorts, <laughs> I, I just feel like you you really should just have a straightforward, this is the premise for this one. This is what they're going to do for 20 minutes. But it's, it's not. It's like there's all these different set pieces. Will, we're going to go chop wood. It, I don't know. It's just, And then it's like five minutes of chopping wood that doesn't go anywhere. And then like they're trying to eat a sandwich and Ollie's putting <laughs> salt on Stan or something. It's just, it just, I don't know. And then this plot kicks in about the misunderstanding with the acting and then they go to auction the car and it, it just feels too all over the place. It's like you just want, they need money. Even Thicker Than Water, that, that all the stuff with them like mixing their blood round at the end just like felt, divorced from everything that had happened leading up to it. Well, yeah, it's not connected to what happened yeah. before, is it? I can't remember why he needs blood. What happens? Does his wife hit him with a rolling pin or something? Probably. <laughs> yeah, there's all this shit with the grandfather clock, but there's like ten minutes at the start where they're just drying the dishes. It's just... 
I don't know. I just—it's like I kind of just want if they yeah. if, if they're gonna do if they're gonna do drying the dishes. Like I, I'll watch a whole twenty-minute film where like they have to tidy the house and it goes wrong. I don't. It. I don't know. I just. I think I want because it's such fucking simple base humor. I think I want the plots to be as simplistic to kind of reflect it. And I think you do have some shorts like that. There's some busy bodies, which is basically the pair just working a lumber mill mm. and just hilarity ensues. Uh, there's another <laughs> one where the um, Mrs. Hardy wants to boost their radio signal so they just spend the entire short trying to put up an aerial um, that is classic that's 1930s comedy right there <laughs> that's why i remember them being was very mm. simple mm. like this is 20 minutes of them trying to get a piano up the stairs and that's the whole film yeah yeah and that's kind of what i want i don't i don't know these just felt too i still gave them a six exact same thing do you want to rate uh, one good turn six yeah, six for me. I think it'd be a seven from me. It's not one of my favourite ones. I don't like how Stan is so violent with Ollie at the end. Yeah, that is a, that I, is an unusual thing, isn't it? I, mm. Yeah, I, I thought they were a lot more violent than I remembered. Mm. That, that one in particular was because apparently Stan's daughter was a bit nervous about being around Hardy after watching the films where he, like, hits her dad and stuff, so they had to do that to make her like him again. But it just comes across as unnecessarily violent. Uh, I anyway. think uh, Sylvester Stallone's kids had the same thing with Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has to beat him at the end. <laughs> and what about One Good Turn? That was One Good Turn, we said, wasn't it? Oh, no, sorry, the other one. Thicker Than Water. Six. Yeah. Six? I give this... Give this one a five. Oh, okay. I'm not sure why. I like the the end where they swap places. Yeah, yeah. eight. So, my, well, my, my favourite we... one that I've ever seen, I think, is there's loads of snow. And I think it might be the one with a piano. But like, a di- oh! do, they, do they do another one with a piano? No, I think this might be the one that I showed you where they're like street musicians. And I, I have, I have yeah, strong memories of this. Fade, uh, uh, small memories, weak memories. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the one that I showed you where there's street musicians outside and they're like busking and then they get into a snowball fight with some neighbor who's pissed off about their playing and then they accidentally hit this like really aggressive looking woman and she comes over and like destroys their Hits them with her own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely that because I remember, I remember one of the things that you looked at me just uh, with, with just pity in your eyes about was when I was uh, laughing uproariously at the face of the the woman when uh, it's one of those it's one of those hits. times where you have to really reassess your relationship with someone when you yeah. find out something about them that yeah. makes you feel like oh maybe they're actually a lot simpler than I realized. I did show a, a short to someone that I was dating once and it was the last date. <laughs> I don't think it was connected, but I haven't done it since. Were they not laughing? They were more just sort of doing what you did, which is sort of side-eye me every time I would sort of chuckle or something. Like, uh... It's a bold move, I think, showing someone a Laurel and Hardy short. Didn't you... Calvin, correct me if I'm wrong, did you not once match with Matt Lucas on a dating app and... Oh, I did, share. yes. What you said to me was you you shared Laurel and Hardy quotes. 
back and forth. Yeah. It's me like a very weird thing because I there, there's surely like maybe two catchphrases you can pull out. <laughs> They're not known I can't for that. How, we got on how do you it. spell? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking. I remember we talked about which films we like. Uh, and yeah, he's a fan. I bet he is. So. I reckon we could probably come up with a pretty complete script for a uh, Laurel and Hardy <laughs> short right off the back here. So, well, I mean, we've already done bits. Yeah, <laughs> as we've what, got along. Well, what are your ideas? Because one of my main surprises is that they, and I, I guess maybe it's because it wasn't really on the mind of the public at the time, but we never had Laurel and Hardy in space. Yeah, <laughs> and it seems like such an obvious thing. Uh, yeah, that's, it wasn't in the thirties. It wasn't that wasn't a thing. There, there is a point in Stan and Ollie where one of them, what I think Stan Laurel is walking down the the street, and it's sort mm. of like I think he's just found out he's not getting funding for his film or something, and he looks up and there's a huge poster for like Abbott and Costello go to Mars or something, <laughs> and he saw it's this like real oh it's the new kids, it's like mm. it's like Buzz Lightyear, the new toys here, and I'm old hat. No. So I think they kind of missed the boat on that. But yeah, um, Laurel and Hardy in space would be great. Do you think there's a way to kind of revive Laurel and Hardy in the modern age? Do some, um, get Robert Zemeckis to do some weird motion capture shit to like bring his <laughs> like animated. I don't know if there'd be much appetite for that. Like, I, I think part of the problem with like that for Love or Mummy and the Laurel and Hardy cartoon series and. It's very hard to replicate that kind of humour outside of that time. Yeah. And every time that some studio or execs or whatever have tried to just do the same thing, and they are just basically doing the same thing, Yeah. but it's just it just doesn't work. And I don't know if you just take it out of that time, out of that particular film stock or, or what it is, but... Could you not um, really, like, bump it up, though? Really kind of reinvigorate it a bit you know like you watch classic looney tunes cartoons Mm. and a lot of them still hold up really well Mm. could you do like a classically animated stan and ollie cartoon but it's like the 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 slaps like it's at the level of looney tunes stuff it's a bit more extreme it's a bit more irreverent Mm. do you think you could do something like that that would Mm, possibly maybe make Mm. them a bit more palatable to a modern audience just a bit more quick fire and Mm. Mate, you could add some yeah. like meta gags in along the way, some funny street signs and stuff, just to kind of, you know, so it's not all just relying on their slapstick. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. I don't know if we should try and make it funny. Isn't that going against what it was made for in the first place? Oh, well, what would your idea be? Um, they work at a cattle market and they have to deliver a cow to someone. <laughs> <laughs> It's just them trying to move a cow for 20 minutes. I don't know if they ever had to move a cow. They definitely had paired up with a chimpanzee in a few. <laughs> oh my god, I need to see that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, you know, someone dressed as a chimpanzee. Oh, that's not as good. Yeah. Could, I mean, if they've got a cow, Stan is definitely, definitely going to sell it for magic beans at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I think at some point, one of them has to suckle milk from the teat. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, l- let me throw let me throw some scenarios at you, and you you can make them funny, right? Okay, right. so <laughs> Laurel and Hardy have got a job as projectionists at a cinema, right? Okay, um, so the 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 real needs changing. 
Yes. And Ollie, Ollie goes, go and fetch me that reel. And, and <laughs> go and fetch me the reel. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of like twiddles his bow tie. Uh, <laughs> and Stan picks it up, but it like untangles, unspools as he picks it up. And he goes, oh, oh. And and starts like <laughs> rolling around, getting tangled up in it, trying to put it back together, and it's just getting all around him. And and then he's like running around, and he he runs back into like round the corner where Ollie is, and looks at him, but Ollie hasn't noticed him. And then he runs back over to the spool, and he, he sort of keeps running back and forth, and like scratching his head, going. Whoa! And then, meanwhile, the reel has run out, and James Finlayson is the cinema manager yeah, downstairs yeah, who's <laughs> getting really anxious. He throws his hat on the floor and jumps up. People and down are on throwing it. popcorn, um, <laughs> and then and and Ollie sort of Ooh. Ollie walks around the corner to see what's happening and goes, Ooh. yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he grabs the the reel that's still tangled around Stan and puts it into the thing. So now Stan's being spun around. It's, it's like a weird special effect where they had to kind of. So you're actually really good. <laughs> That's a great idea. But let's not forget that at the time, film stock was highly flammable. Stan sat on the floor, like really dizzy, and his hair's like really stood up now. Uh, and so Ollie sort of claps him around the back of the head and says. Go, go and get me some milk duds or whatever. Milk duds? Oh, I don't know. What, what, whatever confe- <laughs> go and get us some confectionery treats or whatever. fruits. <laughs> and uh, so Stan has to go down to the bit where they sell food and drinks. Mm. But he's dizzy. So he, what he actually does is he walks out the... He accidentally like walks out the fire escape. Let's say when he claps him over the head, it knocks his hat over his eyes as well. <laughs> Just so he can't see what he's doing. And uh, so now he's walking around the street outside. And the, the, the footage they're showing, it's like a parody of that train coming towards the screen. But it's like a big, it's like a big truck. And Stan walks in into the street and this truck goes and crashes into the cinema like through the screen (laughs) (laughs) and everyone everyone's like terrified and uh the the guy with the mustache goes no (laughs) and uh and and then in the rubble it like it goes to like smoke and as the dust settles oliver hardy sat in the rubble with like looking disheveled and he looks at Stan, and then he looks at camera, and then he looks at the rubble around him, and his like his hat's <laughs> broken and everything. And then he looks at Stan, and he sort of straightens his cuffs out, and he then he says the line. <laughs> Were you waiting for one of us? Yeah. To... All right. Well, here's another nice mess you've gotten me into. And then. Perfect. That was really good. It's a shame you weren't working in the (laughs) 1920s and 30s at the Hal Roach studio. It's like I can just write episodes of Frasier effortlessly. I can do it with Laurel and Hardy as well. They're obviously on the same level. I got another another scenario for you, okay? Um, uh, Ollie gets a job uh, on a radio station giving advice to people. And, I like that already. And <laughs> Stan Laurel is his brother, who's a bit uptight. <laughs> and James Finlayson is their dad. Yeah. 
<laughs> he used to be a cop. Uh, and then there's a dog called Lucky Dog. There's <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 laughing the... gravy. <laughs> oh, well done. You remember. It wasn't just an accident. My one in space would be Laurel and Hardy are in like, they're, they're like cleaners at Cape Canaveral or something. <laughs> And because it's the 50s, they're sending, like, a dog into space, or a chimpanzee, or, or a cat or something. That sounds very close. <laughs> yeah. um, I saw an old... I, I saw, like, a few scenes from a film when I was younger on TV. Oh no! I'm plagiarizing. I think it might have been Abbott and Costello. And what basically happened was, I think they were cleaners or something, who went to, like, clean the rocket ship that was going to space, and it's equipped for monkeys... Or chimps. Oh, and there's a hmm. there was just a protracted, like really extended sequence where the fat one was like strapped down into the chair, and the machine kept feeding him bananas and brushing his teeth because <laughs> it was designed to do that to a, to a chimp. And he was just there, like having bananas shoved in his face. And then there's the Carl Pilkington <laughs> space program. Yeah, this kind of. <laughs> then the footage got sped up, and it just kept doing it. It was very weird. But this sounds like yeah. it might be similar to your idea. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> in, in mine, they'd get to Mars, Ooh. and then there'd be little green men there. And... No, you know what would be a really great ending? Ollie's so exasperated, and then they get to Mars, and all the aliens are played by Stan Laurel, and it's just like loads of... <laughs> <laughs> sort of uh, stands bumbling around, oh, and, he, and he just I love that. he goes, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like hundreds of them going <laughs> all at once. <laughs> That'd be great. Why weren't you alive in the nineties? 90- I mean, we wouldn't have known you. You but... found your calling, Saul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If only we could go back a hundred years. Yeah, humor goes around in circles. No, actually, it doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't go <laughs> yeah, in cycles at all. Sorry. Well, yeah. I don't know. It, we'll have World War Three, and like out of the ashes, out of the rubble, the survivors will just want very simple humor. They won't want any. <laughs> they won't have to think. So that'll be when it. No comes satire. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a post-satire world. You preheat the oven, and I'll unwrap the Tony's frozen pizza. <laughs> Ready, Stan. I don't have a match. Never mind, I'll do it myself. Properly prepared, the great taste of Tony's is more than the right meats or cheeses, rich tomato sauce. It's the way we blend them. Taste Tony's taste. Ah, that's some kind of pizza. It certainly is. Butter. Stanley, please pass the parquet margarine. Certainly. Butter. Stan, pass the parquet. Butter. Ollie? What? It says it's butter. Give me that. Smooth, creamy. <laughs> it is butter. Please pass the butter. Parquet. <laughs> Taste parquet margarine. The flavor says... Butter. Oh! Gee, Ollie, this windshield's so messy, I can't see. We need new wiper blades. I know that. Make sure your windshield wipers work when you need them. A new set of Anco wiper blades every year is a quick and inexpensive way to see your way clear. Ollie, without new Anco wipers, we could have been hit by that piano. Piano! Oh! 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 Oh!
Arby's presents Beef and Cheddar. Today, Stanley, we're going to build an incredible Arby's Beef and Cheddar sandwich. Be right back, Ollie. Face to scrumptious dressing. Piled high with Arby's roast beef, piping hot cheddar cheese sauce. Topped off with a toasted onion roll. Stanley, we're building a sandwich, not a house. I'll do that. Share and share alike, Ollie. <laughs> Arby's. America's roast beef. Yes, sir. <laughs>